Hello, I'm Gwetta Lathland, and this is the Mama Cusses podcast, the podcast dedicated to all the cussable moments in parenting. Disclaimer, the Mama Cusses podcast may have curse words, profanity, or adult topics. Okay, it will definitely have those things. So if you have sensitive littles listening with you, now might be the time to pop on those headphones or go hide in the bathroom with your grown-up juice. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Canasmac, hemp oil-infused beauty and skincare products. I was way older than I care to admit when I learned that the most important part of soap is oil. The fragrances and bubbles are there for looks. And smells, I guess. When I got my little jar of Canis Max cleansing oil, I didn't want to believe it. You mean smearing oil all over my oily gal face and then just wiping it off is going to make this mess better? Yeah, yeah, it did. Because the part of soap that works is the oil, grabbing all the gross, trapping it, and wiping off when you wipe the cleansing oil away. And Canis Max oil of choice is hemp naturally full of all the best things your skin craves, with none of the psychoactive effects of marijuana. You can check it out for yourself over at canismac.com. Enter promo code MAMACUSSES, two words, for 10% off your order. That's C-A-N-N-A-S-M-A-C-K.com and promo code MAMACUSSES. Social media and the internet have changed the face of motherhood. There was a time in very recent history that if a mom didn't know what to do, she could A, call her mom, B, talk to the neighbor moms, or C, call the pediatrician or family doctor. After those options were exhausted, she was on her damn own. There was no litany of Dr. Google posts to convince her that her child's rash was a sign of an incredibly rare disease. There was no Pinterest board of unapproachably perfect crafts to spend sunny Sunday afternoons royally cocking up. Today's moms have a glutton of resources available at their fingertips, often tucked into their brocket or the pocket of their yoga pants. On one hand, it is incredibly useful to have instant access to the cumulative knowledge of moms from all walks of life and experience levels. Behavior issues? There's a board for that. Speech delays, there's an infographic for that. Picky eater, whole e-course. Almost nothing that could go weird while raising a tiny human is unaddressed. If your kid is or perhaps isn't doing something, someone on the internet has probably experienced it already. They may or may not have a solution for your situation, but at least you feel a little less alone and potentially a bit less insane. On the other hand, it's unnerving to see how perfect all the other moms seem. Instagram is probably the worst for this. Picture after picture in the hashtag mom life feature moms with their shit together, matching outfits for their spawn, and happy smiling faces of contentment and satisfaction. Yeah, that's a whole lot of bullshit crammed into that frame. First, as we've discussed countless times before, 
that one perfect pic that was deemed Instagram worthy was likely the culmination of weeks of effort, bribery, and shoving the disaster out of shot. Teddy Roosevelt said a lot of interesting things in his life, but my favorite quote has become almost a sort of motto in my parenting decisions. Comparison is the thief of joy. And according to psychology, it really is. A 2019 study by Derry and David I, my sincerest apologies for brutalizing both those names, show that people have two ways to compare their own successes to those of others. If we are trying to take stock of our personal fitness, for example, we often think of the fittest person we know. You know, the gym rat kind who uses words like shred, drinks protein sludge for fun, and spells the word gains with a Z. When we look at our mom bods compared to those, of course we end up falling well short of the benchmark, and down we tumble into a pit of self-deprecation and a feeling of failure. When we scroll through Instagram, the copious mommy blogs, and Pinterest, we find these surreal presentations of motherhood. The rough edges are sanded down or blurred out with a vignette filter. The fails are neatly discarded before the final picture is snapped and posted. We, as moms and humans, see this unbridled excellence and compare our own modest surroundings to them, and we feel less than as a result. However, the same study showed that when people were prompted to make a more accurate comparison, they felt better about their self-analysis. When an amateur home cook was asked to compare their cooking with that of a cook of relatively similar skill level, their assessment of their own cooking tended to lift. They felt better about their own skills by comparison. So it stands to reason, if we want to feel better about our work as mothers, we need to establish a few more reasonable expectations. We need to begin to appreciate the art of imperfect momming. No mom is perfect. No child is perfect. Yes, even yours. And if you feel the need to argue with me, I'd be willing to bet you can still count your child's age in days. We are human and thus flawed. The trick to being a good human is not pretending that we are perfect, but to admit our fuck-ups, learn from them, and try our hardest not to make the same mistake twice. A genuinely good human embraces the constant ebb and flow of fail, learn, try again, repeat ad nauseum until we succeed. And if that's what makes a good human, it's what makes a good mom. Momming is imperfect because we are imperfect. Admitting that feels like a sucker punch to the gut at first, though. It feels so incredibly daunting as a mom because the stakes feel higher. Not only is our mental health at risk, but potentially the health and safety of our spawn is as well when we fail. One mess up could result in our being the reason our kids need therapy as adults. Admittedly, it would have to be a pretty big mess up or a series of a lot of small ones, but all the same. That worry, something I call momsiety, is ever present, just on the fringes of our awareness. 
We imagine that session after session, our child, now grown, will sit on some therapist's couch, sobbing about the terrible go at mothering we made. In March, the parenting experts, those with good ideas about how to fix whatever may be broken or undesirable in your parenting technique. The internet would have you believe there is only one right way to raise a child. This is complete and utter bullshit. It's just not true. Children are all different and require different levels of attention. There is not one right way to raise every child. There isn't even one right way to raise your child. Your parenting experience, and by extension, your sex trophy's childhood, will be a winding road through trial and error, loudly exclaiming, well, what the fuck do I do now? And tears of both frustration and joy from pretty much all parties involved. But once you admit and own the imperfection in your parenting, now you can begin to refine it into a respectable art. One that you'll look back on and go, well, it isn't what I thought it would look like, but I still like it. We'll pick back up here in just a minute. But first, let's hear from our sponsor for today. My very 90s childhood did include scrunchy enshrined ponytails jutting off the side of my head and slouch socks in every neon color available. I'll own that. But that's where my similarities with my peers stopped. Lisa Frank was all the rage when I was in elementary school, but I never got into that neon surrealism the other girls went gaga for. Saturday morning cartoons reigned supreme for other kids, but my interests lay elsewhere. Come Saturday morning, I would pour myself a big bowl of golden grams and plop myself down in front of PBS. Now this was the days before PBS Kids. They had shows like Reading Rainbow and Wishbone, which I loved, but those came on after school on weekdays. The public access channel had far less kid-oriented fare on Saturday mornings. Instead, they aired two shows I lived for, The Frugal Gourmet and The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. In recent years, Bob Ross has risen to popularity, so it might be unnecessary to acquaint you with some of his more well-known sayings. But in case you've not interneted in the last six or so years, Bob Ross was an Afroed badass who may or may not have sold his soul to create the paintings he made. He painted happy little clouds and gave his tap-tap-tap-tapped trees friends. He also never fretted a mistake. Everything was a happy accident to Ross. He may not have intended to paint a bush or a little pathway into the woods, but paint landed where it oughtn't, and he just rolled with it. He always gently encouraged the viewers to let the painting take shape however it may. Don't force it, he would beguilingly coo. Just let it happen. I watched entranced every Saturday morning without fail. I was never a painter and never really wanted to be. My artistic bent slanted a different direction. But I loved Bob Ross all the same. Of course, 
I couldn't know that his happy clouds and friendly trees and laissez-faire approach to creating things would influence my parenting. But it did. There are about a million decisions a parent has to make in just the first year of kids' lives. Diapers and feeding, sleeping and stimulation, all of them directly or indirectly influencing the others. And before the baby arrives, most parents feel pretty confident they have it all figured out. We're all perfect parents before we have kids. And then all of a sudden, boom, tiny human. And we get this false boost of confidence in the first few weeks, that period where babies sleep 20 hours a day and are at their most potato-y. Our brains are flooded with happy juices and the kids just aren't that needy. Any struggles we encounter, we easily pawn off as learning curve or adjusting to each other postpartum. Shortly after that, it all goes to hell. And it doesn't matter how many kids we've already had. Shit gets weird by week three or four and parents are never prepared. That postpartum high fades and we realize that we have no fucking clue why this kid is screaming or what to do to make it stop. Most of us, at that point, start feeling desperate. Those parenting experts may advise against the choice we are about to make, but it becomes a matter of survival. All our preconceived notions fly out the window, and we are deep into imperfect mom's territory, all accompanied by that bitch mom guilt and her incessant chastising us. You said you'd never co-sleep, she reminds you. Yeah, but safe co-sleep is better than no sleep. You promised you'd breastfeed for one year. Uh Uh-huh. And if my damn boobs would make more fucking tit juice, we might make it. But fed is best and breastfeeding is hard. By one year, we've amassed a series of compromises and unlearned everything we thought we knew prior to having that specific kid. And in the thick of it, The whole thing feels like we've made a mess of everything, like some almighty mom art critic is rocking back on their smug heels, silently judging our failure. But that's not how the art of imperfect momming works. We'll talk more about this in just a moment, but first we need to pause for a Mama Cusses letter to my spawn. Dear children of mine, if you're reading this note, it means I've either died or I've finally found a hiding spot in which you cannot find me. Ha ha, if it's the second. And, um, that sucks, if it's the first. There are some things you should know, questions that have long burned at your existence, the ones that keep you up at night. I have some answers. First, Yes, I totally had a favorite kid. Now I'll wait while you argue about which one it really was. Done? Okay. Yes, I had a favorite. However, it changed from minute to minute and depended entirely on who was being less of a dick at the time. As far as chores go, yes, I was lying to you for years. It was never about preparing you for adult life or teaching you valuable lessons about contributing to the household and taking responsibility for your actions. It was purely shit I didn't want to do anymore. 
I hated doing the dishes, and you kids made most of the dishes, so it really felt like your problem more than mine. Since we're in full confession mode here, not having to do dishes for 20-some-odd years was at least 1% of your father's and my decision to even have kids. Next point. If you haven't figured it out by now, no. Rice is not supposed to be crunchy. I always sucked at cooking rice. Even the fancy rice cookers couldn't help. Also, I hid cauliflower in it like 80% of the time. So there's that. Also, I'm not sorry about it, but it feels only fair you should know that I did not need to poop nearly as often as I claimed I did. I just needed a moment away from you, and the promise of poop stank was typically enough to buy me an extra 30 or 40 seconds before you came barging into the bathroom anyway. And finally, the real reason we couldn't get a goldfish is because I was barely keeping you alive and I didn't want to have to explain goldfish heaven to you when I inevitably forgot to feed the damn thing for a week straight. Because Anubis knows y'all weren't going to feed him. You rarely fed the dogs. The fish wasn't going to stand a chance. There are many more things I probably need to tell you, but since I'm writing this while very much alive, I can hear you coming for me. Also, should you choose to have kids, know the fuckers will, in fact, find you in the damn attic. Sincerely, your apparently-sucks-at-hide-and-seek mother. Bob Ross never painted things to be admired and doted upon by the fine art world. He painted things for himself and for his viewers, his children, for the sake of this analogy. That's how Bob Ross taught me about parenting. His work was never destined for museum galleries. In fact, the Smithsonian has a hefty chunk of his thousand-ish paintings and have no plans to display a single one at the time of this recording. Truthfully, I don't think he gave a damn what Senor Smug thought about his mountain landscapes and tree-lined lakes. It's not why he was painting. Imperfect momming involves giving up the fear that you'll be judged by some all-powerful mom committee for changing up tactics or making decisions purely on the basis of coping and surviving. Let's look at a big source of mom fretting. Screen time. Our kids are growing up in a digital age with virtual enhancers and technological dependencies. Screens are everywhere. Many schools hand them out as they once handed out textbooks. Learning is enhanced with smart boards and educational apps, but too much screen time is too stimulating, and blue wave light is the devil, apparently. But as I record this episode, we are in the midst of a global pandemic. The parks are closed, the museums shuttered, the zoos cordoned off or by appointment only. All that's left to learn a little something and keep those developing little minds engaged? Screens. The debate rages, and rightly so, about how to handle sending kids back to school come August. There are no easy answers to be found. We're not even totally sure we're asking the right questions. Schools may be conducted via Zoom meetings and virtual classrooms for thousands of students across the globe this year with screens. And yet, we still have to worry about how much screen time our kids get. 
I say, no, I'm not a physician. I'm not a child development expert. I'm a mom with three kids. I barely know how to parent them. But screen time is one of those things that I, as a mom of a teen and twin toddlers, just have to let float off into the sea of things I don't have the energy to do anything about. Is it imperfect? Yes. Could there be unforeseen consequences? Oh, most likely. But I'm not going to view it as a failure. It was a happy accident. We're going to put that path there in the middle of my Rossian mom art and see where it leads. The art of imperfect momming is really developed in finding what is important for you and your family. Is a Marie Kondo-worthy space important to you? How about home-cooked organic meals? Are you a super crunchy mom willing to handle the ins and outs of cloth diapering? If yes, those are your priorities. Go at them. If the answer to any of those was no, then perfect your art and just don't worry about them. Aim for trash in the trash can and try not to let any one pile grow taller than your shortest kid. Try for all of the basic food groups on the plate, even if the meat is shaped like a dinosaur and the veggie is hidden in the ketchup. And embrace those disposable sisters. We can worry about the planet when your kid is not actively shitting her own pants. I tried cloth diapers for about two days and noped right out of that world. All due respect and worship to the mamas that love them, but that's not for me. There's a concept in Japanese aesthetics called wabi-sabi. According to Wikipedia, wabi-sabi is a worldview centered on the acceptance of transience and imperfection. There's no exact definition of the words wabi or sabi, but generally speaking, wabi refers to things that are fresh and simple. Sabi refers to beauty that comes with age. The whole lifestyle is centered around accepting imperfections. Since nothing is perfect, there is no reason to shun that which has flaws, cracks, or is beginning to show its age. Nothing is permanent, and time changes all things. That's the transient nature of the world and humanity. This is true of life, nature, and motherhood alike. Now, wabi-sabi is focused on how things look, the feel of furniture, and how the imperfections of scuffed paint or chip bowl don't detract, but rather add beauty through history and the story those imperfections tell. But I think most moms could stand to wabi-sabi their parenting outlook as well. Sidebar, wabi-sabi is not a verb, probably, but I'm going to make it one today. A lot of folks adore the little signs you can hang up in your home that proclaim, pardon the mess, my kids are making memories, or something to that extent. I love those signs. It is step one in making momming with flaws and art. But I think we can go a little farther than asking people to pardon the mess. I think those signs should read, accept the mess. We are making ourselves into amazing people. Stop apologizing for the permanent marker scribble stain on the wall. Instead, wabi-sabi it. Yeah, a little got a hold of a sharpie and made me some art on the wall. It's like a tattoo for the wall, a memory of both a mistake and a different time in our lives. Don't feel obligated to try to fluff up that worn-out ass-shaped section of the couch when company is coming over. Break out the wabi-sabi. 
Yes, the cushion is worn the fuck out, but that is the impression of thousands of cuddles, millions of tears over scraped knees and toddler injustices. Bottomless bowls of popcorn have been shared from that squished cushion on family movie nights. Yeah, it's dirty because tiny baby feet, blackened with play dirt, found purchase there while my kids scrambled up to tell me a story of what they discovered in the sandbox. I mean, it was cat shit, and we had to sort that stomach-churning moment out, but they were still so proud of themselves for this discovery. They needed to tell me immediately. Momming is all about survival. Imperfect momming is about surviving with sanity more or less intact. No one paints like Bob Ross their first go. Even Bob Ross didn't paint like Bob Ross the first time he smacked that brush against his easel to dry it off. It takes time to hone your art skill. It will take time to get the hang of accepting imperfect momming. You are constantly redefining, refining, and honing your priorities and what is important to you, your kids, and your situation. Kids have this pesky habit of growing and changing pretty much constantly, which is good, but it means it feels like you're reinventing the damn wheel every six months or so. And to be fair, you kind of are. To master the art of imperfect momming, focus on how well that wheel moves forward rather than how perfect it will look in an Instagram photo. If you find yourself making comparisons to make yourself feel better, compare yourself to other normal moms not the momentary perfection of Instagram and Pinterest. If you're going to have to endure some fails, and you will, embrace them, learn from them, laugh at them, and try something new. You've got this. You, you really do. Imperfections, hot mess mom bun, oatmeal stained hoodies, and all. Before we go, we have just enough time for a few mom definitions. Parts of momming that don't have a name, but really should also known as a series of really tortured portmanteaus. Momversation. The act of talking with a fellow mom, stopping mid-sentence to yell at a kid, and picking right back up where you left off in conversation, as if you didn't just screech at a crotch goblin. Momxiety. The irrational, intrusive thoughts that something awful is going to happen to your kids. For example, Gwenna refused to put fuel in her car while her child was in it, for the first three years of her daughter's life, due to the momsiety of the gas fumes igniting and exploding the whole car in a Michael Bay-type fireball. Mompetition. The unspoken competition between moms to bring the best party favors, Valentine's treats, or test prep snacks to your kids' school classroom. Motherhood rat. The mom who was once hood as fuck played fuckboys like a game of risk, partied to blackout, and would fight a bitch for spilling her drink on the dance floor. You wouldn't know what to look at her now, but she will still throw down if you look at her kids with too much stank eye. Mommy drobe. This is the wardrobe worn exclusively for mom-type activities. Mostly old maternity pants that will fray to scraps before being retired, despite no longer being pregnant. Eight-year-old shirts stolen from a partner and barely fit for wearing in public. The mom fuck. No, this has nothing to do with intercourse. This is the one 
precious fuck a mom has left to give on any given day. If you believe you need a mom to give a fuck about something, you'd better hope and pray she has her mom fuck left. If not, you're out of luck. That's it for today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate my listeners. Many thanks to our sponsors for supporting this episode. And we need to thank the Fox Sisters for the use of their song Stuck on You for the intro and outro of our podcast. You can find Mama Cusses all across social media. On TikTok and Instagram, we are at Mama Cusses. On Twitter and Facebook, we are at This Mama Cusses. Be sure to join the Mama Cusses Moms group. It's like a moms group, but without the weird. There you can connect with other normal moms who cuss, hate mom shamers, vaccinate their crotch goblins, and won't try to sell you essential oils. Visit mamacusses.com for this week's show notes, a full transcript of today's episodes, more excellent sweary content, and links to our merchandise. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and leave a review. That helps the Mama Cusses podcast grow. Stay fierce, bitches. I got a baby that makes me kind of crazy with the way she's treating me. She's a mistreater, a down dirty cheater, and that's not.